Our sermon title this morning is, What's Different? I told mom that this morning, and she said, hmm, that's strange. (laughs) So, that's what our sermon title is. Before we get started today, would you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, how good it is to be in your presence. Uh, Lord, we we thank you so much for what you have done for us. Uh, we thank you for this season, uh, Lord. We uh, we thank you for your your everlasting love for us. And Father, we just ask that you would uh, be with us today in a very special way. Lord, I pray that we would see you in a, a clear light, a clear light of your love and and of your compassion for us and and that, that uh, we would receive a message from you today Lord uh, we're asking you to speak to us and and to open up our hearts and the Holy Spirit to uh, press upon our minds the message that you have for each and every one of us today we ask this in Jesus name amen back uh, a few weeks ago before our our dear brother Glenn went to the nursing home. He was in the hospital, and, and uh, during one of our our uh, visits with him, he said that uh, if the Lord gave him the opportunity that uh, he wanted to uh, preach a sermon series on a certain subject, and uh, that's that's been ringing in my thoughts ever since you know the subject that he wanted to preach on the sermon series that he wanted to preach on so so and we all know how how brother glenn was was uh uh, connected with his best friend he he never decided on his own what to preach on did he no he let the lord pick the sermon for him didn't he so i think i think uh Maybe the Lord wants us to uh, contemplate on this subject today. Um, And this subject, uh, the neglecting of this this subject, for the want of this message is the reason that the churches are dying, for the want of this message. So, we're going to look at... Three instances in the Bible that are very similar in one respect. So, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. We're going to start reading in Luke chapter 3 and look at three instances that have a a similarity. If I can find Luke. Luke chapter 3, and we're going to start reading... In verse 4, Luke chapter 3, verse 4, and it says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the 
wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So imagine with me, we've got John the Baptist. He's standing on the banks of the River Jordan. And there's been multitudes have been coming to him to listen to his preaching, to be baptized by him. And the religious leaders of the day are seeing his popularity. And so they also want to go down and see what the big fuss is about and also to capitalize on his popularity. You know, one of those kind of things that, well, if if we accept this guy, maybe the uh, we will gain some of his popularity as well. So as as the these uh, uh, leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the the, uh, the the zealots, as they as they all come down, John must have pointed his attention to them as he said, "Brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath to come." I can imagine them standing there like, really, did he just call us a herd of snakes? And he says, don't even begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. They said, no, I know he's not talking to us. He says, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Uh, Whatever tree does not bear good fruit is thrown into the fire. Have you ever heard a sermon where it felt like the preacher was talking directly to you. Like the whole sermon was just, you know, you're sitting there thinking to yourselves, I cannot believe that this pastor is airing my dirty laundry in front of all these people. Has has anybody here had that experience? I mean, I've had that experience. I'm thinking, wow, man, I cannot, I cannot believe this is, this this sermon's for me, and and you know this was uh, this was probably the experience of these uh, these people that were standing on the banks of the River Jordan. As as uh, you know, whenever whenever I have this experience, whenever you, you know, I feel like you know God. It's it's not really the pastor that's speaking. It's the Holy Spirit because there is no possible way that any pastor, preacher, uh, speaker, whatever could meet the needs of the people in that way. Do you know what I'm saying? There is no way that that they could be tuned in enough to tell me what's going on in my life. Um, without the Holy Spirit being the one doing the, doing the talking. So, the first reaction that I usually come up with whenever, whenever I feel like, you know, the, the sermon's been preached and it's especially for me, is, you know, there's, there's something in my life that I need to change or something that, that maybe I'm doing that straighten up. So, my first thought is, well, I'm going to do something by the grace of God to make this right. I'm going to change something. I'm going to do something, right? So I don't know if that's your experience when 
when you feel like a sermon's been preached directly to you. But that's that's usually my experience. So, so what do you think as as these people have just heard this sermon? What do you think their response is going to be? Let's read about it. Verse ten. So the people asked him, saying, "What shall we do then?" Okay, let's go to the next example. We're going to turn to Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine. This is a conversion of Paul. We're going to start reading in verse one. Then Saul, still breathing. Threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, um, back then, you know, they weren't called Christians yet. They were called ways. You know, uh, that's why Jesus said, I am the way in John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life because this is what they were called at that time. Was uh, He was looking for Christians is what this is saying. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? So here is Saul. Saul is is on his way to Damascus to to persecute some Christians. And on his way, he sees a bright light shining. And he falls to the ground. And Paul, or Saul at this time, Saul is, Saul is smart. He is, he's, not, he's not dumb. He is very, very smart. You know, um, Ever since the the time that that he witnessed Steve, the stoning of Stephen, he had begun to have doubts in his mind as to whether what they were doing was from God or not. After seeing the light shining from Stephen's face and Stephen saying that he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, he started wondering, you know what? Am I doing the right thing by persecuting these people? Am I working for God? Am I truly doing what God's will is? Because remember, after his experience, he says in, in, in Galatians chapter 1, he says that he didn't go directly after experiencing this, he didn't go to the apostles to be taught about Christ. He went to Arabia, and then he went to Damascus. He didn't have to be taught because he knew it. The Holy Spirit had been convicting his mind already that Jesus was the Messiah. That these Christians were the followers of God. But because of his pride, because because of his pride of popularity, because of his faith in the teachers of the law that had been teaching him, and listening to them, after after coming to them and saying, and expressing his doubts about what they were doing. And the teachers of the law, uh, no, these are heretics. These are bad people. We're doing God's work. After listening to them, 
and struggling within himself and finally silencing the Spirit's conviction in his mind, he gets even more zealous in persecuting the church. Have, have you ever been in that situation where, where God is convicting you about something and, and, and maybe, you know, some friends or whatever uh, tell you, oh, don't even worry about that. Don't think about that. Or maybe some, some people that you, that you've looked up to for such a long time tell you, uh, no, that's, that's not really the way it is. And you say, well, Maybe this, maybe this conviction is wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm still all right. Well, this is, this is Paul, Paul's experience. So, can you imagine? Can you imagine being Paul and finding out a bright light shining around you, and you fall into the ground, and you know you're in the presence of God because He said, "Who are you, Lord?" He knows He's in the presence of God. And then he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Can you imagine what Paul felt like? I mean, have you, I mean, to this degree, I've never experienced that, but, but to a, maybe a more minor degree, you know, finding out that, that my convictions on a certain point was actually, was actually right. And I should have listened the whole time. Man, <laughs> can you imagine what Paul is feeling like? My thoughts, every, whenever that, if that ever happens to me, and, and it has happened to me, my thoughts is, wow, God, what can I do? What can I do to make this up? I should have listened the first time. What's Paul's response? Saul this time what does Saul say verse 6 so he trembling and astonished said Lord what do you want me to do what do you want me to do Lord next instance turn with me to Acts chapter 2 And we're going to start reading Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start reading in verse 36. Here, this is the day of Pentecost, and Peter had been preaching. He'd been preaching a sermon. In verse 36, it starts out with, therefore. Now, when we see therefore in the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what's that therefore? You know, because... we need to think about what we're reading when we're reading so we can understand what we're reading. So, therefore, what this is saying is, because of all this, because of what Peter had been preaching, Peter's been preaching from Joel, he's been preaching from the Psalms, uh, he's been preaching from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ is actually the Son of God, he is actually the Messiah, and he's saying point number one, point number two, the Holy Spirit has fallen, point number three, And then, therefore, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Messiah. How do you think those people felt after hearing that? 
that's that's pretty that's pretty plain. <laughs> that is plain, is it not? You kill the Messiah, the one that the Israelites from the beginning of time, the the hope of humanity. You killed him. The son of God. After proving it from the scriptures, you have killed the Christ. Do you think these people probably realized that their life was out of harmony with God's will? That their actions just 50 days before were radically contrary to God's will. What's the what's the natural response? What is the natural response when we find out that we our actions, something that we have done is radically out of harmony with God's will? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think they're going to say? What shall we do? Then Peter said to them, oh, wait, uh, yeah, verse 37. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do? What do we do? Why do they all say that? I'll tell you why. Because it is built into the very fabric of what and who we are as human beings. That when we realize that we're out of harmony with God's will, that we're going to do something to make it right. Now, I, wanna, I want you to picture with me, we have two different... We've got every non-Christian religion over here. We've got Islam, we've got Hinduism, we've got Buddhism, we've got uh, Judaism. We've got all these religions. We're going we're gonna to group them up over here. And then over here, we've got the Christian faith. Now, what I want to show you this morning is that in all these religions, there's a scarlet thread that runs through that is that is exactly the same in all these religions there's one thing that is the same in all of these even those you know these religions are very different judaism is different from uh islam and and judaism is different from buddhism absolutely there's some different aspects of all these religions but there's one thing about all of these religions that separates these that that categorizes all these together and separates them from this what is that? What is that? Don't take it from me. I want to read it to you. This is from the Desire of Ages, chapter 35. <clears throat> and it says, listen very carefully, through heathenism, Satan had for ages turned men away from God. But he won his great triumph in perverting the faith of Israel. By contemplating and worshiping their own con conceptions, the heathen had lost a knowledge of God and had become more and more corrupt. 
So it was with Israel. The principle that man can save himself by his own works lay at the foundation of every heathen religion. Did you hear that? The foundation, the principle that man can save himself by his own what? By his own works lay at the foundation of all of this. Are you ready for this? It had now become the principle of the Jewish religion. Satan had implanted this principle. Now, um, many of you parents probably have experienced uh, uh, your children being picky, probably, right? <laughs> Has anybody had a, a non-picky child? That, that's the question to ask. Uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> You've had a non-picky child? Wow, man, you are lucky. <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm in the with, with the rest of you in the boat who have had picky children. <laughs> oh, you've had one of those too. <laughs> well, Johanna's, she was, uh, she's pretty picky. She's just, as she gets older, she's, she hits her stages where she gets a little more picky and then a little less picky. But I can remember, you know, when, when Johanna was younger, that Megan, you know, being the good mother that she is, always, you know, trying to sneak something in that's healthy to, uh, uh, just to, you know, make her, make her, make her feel a little better, make her be a little healthier, you know. And, um, just the other day, um, <laughs> uh, I was, uh, I, I'm kind of that way about like, like Megan wants her to be healthy and I want her to not waste food. <laughs> so <laughs> Megan's probably aspect is probably better than mine. But anyway, the other day I was uh, making her a sandwich for breakfast and you know how there, I mean, I know a lot of adults that will not eat the hill of a bread, you know, does anybody know, does anybody here not like the hill of bread? Oh, well, I'm, I, uh, you know, it's not my favorite, but I'm going to eat it because <laughs> it's, it's, it's there. And, and I'm kind of the same way. So we have two pieces of bread left. That's all we have in the house. One of them is a normal piece of bread and the other one is a hill. I'm like, what am I going to do? I got to make this child a sandwich. <laughs> and all I've got is this hill of the bread. She's not going to eat it. So what I did, and now that I'm telling you, she's going to inspect every sandwich that I make. But what I did was I took the hill of the bread, I put some mayonnaise on it, <laughs> on the back side, you know, flipped it over, and it looked like a normal sandwich. <laughs> so I implanted that hill of bread into her sandwich, and guess what? She ate it. <laughs> She did not know anything else about it. I don't know if she was uh, just not paying attention or what, but she ate it. So <clears throat> that's what Satan did, though. <laughs> Comparing myself to Satan. That's what Satan did when he implanted the belief into the Jewish religion that Man can save himself by his own works. Remember, his greatest triumph was when he implanted that belief. His, his, his number one tool was heathenism. 
But he won his greatest triumph when he implanted into the Jewish religion that the conception that man can save himself by his own works. Now, if anybody should have had the the knowledge of righteousness by faith, it was the Jewish religion. They had the sanctuary service, which was completely about faith in the Lamb, in the Lamb, in the Lamb. They should have known more than anybody. But you know what? The worst thing about this is that it the belief that 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 man can save himself by his own works, it caters to who we are. It caters to what we are as human beings. To want to do something to make things right. I've got a friend who's 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 a Muslim and he says he says, you never know what you do that God will accept. What kind of act you do, you never know. God may accept one of them. You don't know which one's going to get you into heaven. <laughs> what are we going to do? We're dust. We're dirty dust. If we were to bring to the holy angels... We've been talking about Nehemiah. We've been, we've been talking about Ezra. If we were to bring, or, or Daniel, think of the most righteous person that you can possibly think of who's done the most good things on the earth. Daniel, let me look at, look at Daniel. The Bible doesn't even say, doesn't even record anything, any of his sins. He is greatly beloved. He's, he, he, he did so many good things. If we were to bring to the holy angels, look at Daniel. Look at what he has done. Doesn't he, out of anybody, doesn't he deserve to be saved? You know what they would say? Treason. Treason. What in the world are we going to do? But God looked down. And he saw people that were in bad shape that could do nothing for themselves. And he said, I'm going to save those people. But how am I going to do it? Because I cannot go against my law because it's the very foundation of my character and who I am. Then he looks to Jesus. And then they have that council that's talked about in early writings. And Jesus comes down. And that that condescension from divinity to humanity, from the presence, being in the presence of holy angels, being in the presence of the Father, uh, being the creator of the universe, becoming a man. It doesn't matter how long we think about that. When we think about that for so long, we start thinking in our minds, wow. We start to get a little light, start flooding into our minds. We think that we've start to got a, we started to get a, an idea of what that meant. We still don't even have a taste. If we thought about it from, 
the beginning of time until now, we still would not be able to understand what that was. What, how great of a sacrifice, how great of a condescension that was. In Jesus becoming a man, being clothed with humanity. And better and worse than that, he died on a tree. And God looked down. And he said, I can accept that. I can accept that. Brothers and sisters, the center of the Christian faith does not revolve around what we do, but what God has done. Turn with me in your Bibles. I've got one more. One more instance I want to look at. And I'm not sure if I can find her or not. Obedience, obedience is important. But if it's not in the right context, turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Okay, we're going to start reading in Philippians chapter three, verse one. I'm almost done. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write this for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the of the mutilation. Do you know what Paul is saying here? The mutilation. It's like a it's a sarcastic way of referring to the circumcision. Now, God is the one who came up with circumcision, right? But the Jews had began to trust in circumcision instead of what circumcision meant. So they started trusting in the, the, the observance instead of what the observance meant. Because that's what, that's what we just read, right? That Satan had implanted into the Jewish religion the, the, the idea that man could save himself by his own works. For we, uh, let's start reading in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. Now, what's, what's this confidence in the flesh? This is the things, let me keep reading. Though I, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And then he begins to recite his his uh, spiritual resume. It says, uh, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in, in the law, blameless. People have become people have been coming into the the, the Philippian church and, and, and telling them, yeah, uh, Jesus is good. Righteousness, righteousness by faith. That's good. But you got to be circumcised if you want to be saved. So it's Jesus plus my works. And Paul says. These people that are harassing you, I have got more to boast about than any of them. 
Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He's saying, when I met Jesus on that Damascus road, I found out that everything that I was doing was loss. And be found in him. Verse 8, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom... I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Do you know what? Does it does does anybody else have um, another version of this in verse eight where it says I count them as rubbish? The NIV says rubbish. Does anybody else have filth? Does anybody have another one? Dumb. You know, that's what Paul said. He said dung. He didn't say rubbish. The translators of the King James Version and, and a few others, they did not want to offend our finer sensibilities, so they said, ah, rubbish. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said dung. Everything I did to recommend me to God before I met Jesus on that Damascus road, it's dung. Do you know what dung is? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Dung is... It's poo. Paul is saying, before I met Jesus, on that Damascus road, everything I was doing to recommend myself to God... It was poo. It was all poo. You know, sometimes we want to we want to say to ourselves, "Let me clarify something really quick." I am a vegan vegetarian, and I'm proud of that. But you know, sometimes we want to say to ourselves, "You know what Jesus did? That's good." Maybe I need to add a little a little bit of my own righteousness. So I'm going to become a vegetarian. And then Jesus is, God is really going to be happy with me. You know, he's going to say, look, there's my son. And then there's Micah, the vegetarian. Now, I'm in no way making fun of the health message because I believe that God wants us to be healthy. I believe that God wants us to be happy and to feel good and have all kinds of energy. But I don't believe for a moment that my vegetarianism recommends me to a holy God. Not for a moment. You say, well, we, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the Sabbath. We should keep the Sabbath. Not as a legalistic requirement but because of what Jesus has done for us. My Sabbath keeping is never going to recommend me to God. It is a love response to God. Brothers and sisters, if we don't keep the right mindset, obedience is 
Obedience is even essential. But if it's not in the right context, what we do becomes dumb. The one thing that we can do, you know, when the when the people came came around came around the lake looking looking for Jesus because they had had some off fish sandwiches, they came around they came around the lake looking for some more, and and, and they, you know, they were kind of like, oh, uh, Jesus, where did where did you, we we came this way and you came that way? Where did you come? How did you get here? And Jesus said, I know what you're looking for. And at once, conviction, conviction. Here is someone who can read our very thoughts and hearts. And they say, Jesus, what do we do? What do we do to work the works of God? We can see that God is happy with you. We can see that God has revealed himself in you. How do we work the works of God? How do we make God happy with us? What can we do? And what did Jesus say? Believe in him whom he hath sent. That's what we can do. We can believe. That sounds just like what what Jesus said to Nicodemus, right? For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that God gave his only begotten son, Nicodemus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 1, 16, our our scripture reading. The, The great writer of grace, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. What we do does not recommend us to God. But we can believe in what God has done. Because God has accepted Christ and his sacrifice. And when by faith we believe in what Christ has done, we are accepted. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done for us, what we could never do to us, do for ourselves. Thank you for coming to this earth as a baby. And Lord, though we will never fully grasp the entirety of what you have done for us, Lord, let us ever contemplate on it. And remember, because of your merit, because of your your perfection because of of your death on the cross for us. We are now recommended to God as well. And Lord, help us to uh, share this, this great and wonderful truth, Father, with, with everyone that we come into contact with. Be with us throughout this week and everything that we, we uh, put our hand to. Lord, we love you and ask you to be with us in, uh, in, our hol- in this holiday season. Help us to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.